electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Zoom's Zoom breaking down the video conference platform's jaw-dropping quarter with CFO Kelly Steckelberg. What we saw from the retention perspective is that working from home is not a fad. People are really adjusting to this new way of life. They are integrating Zoom into all aspects. Are we on the brink of a digital Berlin Wall with China? New York Times columnist Tom Friedman on America's face-off in cyberspace. We're in a world where everything is dual use now. It can have military or intelligence and civilian purposes, including your kid's next bathtub ducky, which probably has a chip in it. And the 2020 school year averting disaster with online learning pioneer Sal Khan. But if we don't work in a very cohesive way, it could easily turn to education catastrophe. Those stories and more. Tesla's raise, Walmart's subscription, and the hope for a coronavirus vaccine. It's Tuesday, September 1st, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Brian Sullivan and Wilfred Frost. Joe and Andrew are both off. But guys, it's good to see you this morning. Very nice to see you, too. Thanks for having us. Thanks for being here. First up today on the podcast, a pandemic update. Yesterday, new coronavirus cases in the U.S. fell to the lowest daily number since June 23rd, about 33,000, according to data collected by Johns Hopkins. But as overall cases trend lower, new infections are up about 5% compared to a week ago in 26 states, many of the recently growing outbreaks in the Midwest. Total coronavirus cases in the U.S. have topped 6 million. Nearly a quarter of worldwide cases and fatalities are in the United States. But hopes for a vaccine are global. The World Economic Forum polled 20,000 adults in 27 countries, and no surprise, 74% said they would get vaccinated if a coronavirus vaccine became available. AstraZeneca beginning in the final stage trial of its coronavirus vaccine here in the United States. Company says it plans to enroll as many as 30,000 adults in the study. Keep in mind that Oxford University partnered with AstraZeneca. And the company says its final phases of testing in the UK could yield preliminary results as early as next month. Guys, I think, you know, it's not for us to root for companies to win or lose. It's not our job. But I think as a human nature, just as a culture around the world, we're all rooting for every company who's working on some kind of vaccine or treatment. I think that's a fair thing to say. Absolutely. (laughs) Go. Anybody who's got a solution to this, we'll take it. You know, thank you for working so hard on this. And we're rooting for all of them, Mm -hmm. 100%. Tesla shares uh, on the move this morning, uh, pairing gains after the company entered an equity distribution agreement to sell up to $5 billion of shares. Uh, Phil LeBeau joins us uh, with more on that. Phil, uh, not enough to put it into negative territory, though, uh, this morning in the pre-market. No, because I think when you look at this agreement, what Tesla has essentially done is it has formed an agreement with a series of banks. And I haven't counted how many exactly. I think there are seven or eight where from time to time at Tesla's direction, they will sell Tesla shares uh, to raise up to potentially over time 
$5 billion. Now, we don't know exactly what the schedule is going to be, how frequently uh, these uh, Tesla stock sales will take place. The money is going to be used, according to the uh, 8K that uh, they announced this with, to shore up the balance sheet and provide uh, liquidity for the company, which raises the question, how is Tesla's liquidity? It ended the second quarter with about $5 billion in liquidity, but remember, they've got some strong capital commitments that are coming. They're still building the Gigafactory outside of Berlin. They've made the commitment to build the Gigafactory outside of Austin, Texas. They're constantly investing in the Gigafactory, uh, which is expanding and adding more battery production uh, outside of Reno, Nevada. So I think when you look at this, Tesla investors will look at this and they'll say, look, we don't know exactly what they're going to be using this money for uh, in the future. But we do realize that they're going to have these big capital commitments. And so now they have said with uh, this series of banks, look, from time to time, we will ask you to take advantage of the market and sell our shares at our direction. And, and Phil, we were saying earlier, it's, it's a sign of uh, the progress of this company that they can raise $5 billion so easily. It's, uh, what, a percent or so, just, just over a percent or so of the yep. market cap uh, today, the shares aren't even flinching. And, uh, you know, 18 months ago, two years ago, this would have been nigh on impossible. Correct. And remember the reaction that we've seen over the last couple of years, whenever Tesla has raised capital, it's been a little more muted with each capital raise. Uh, there was a big reaction, I remember, to a capital raise, I want to say two or three years ago. Uh, and the big question is, oh, my goodness, what are they doing? Is this an indication that these guys will never be able to make money? They're just always going to be spending money. Uh, we have seen less and less of a reaction from the market with each subsequent capital raise or an indication that they will be selling shares. Yeah, and uh, the share price gains again, not just uh, to mention the 80% since August 11th announcement of the stock split, but yesterday up double-digit percents are off the first day of the stock split. Phil LeBeau, thanks so much. You bet. For the quote, the great news anchor Ron Burgundy, Walmart just took its fight with Amazon up a notch. It is rolling out a new membership program called Walmart Plus. It's basically Amazon Prime. It's about the same cost, $12.95 a month. It gives you unlimited free delivery on 160,000 items, including groceries, as long as you spend $35. That is one big difference to Prime, and there are two others. First, you can use Walmart's Scan and Go app to skip the checkout line in stores. And maybe more importantly, customers get discounts at gasoline. But still, they're taking it up. They want that delivery. They want that Amazon Prime customer. And a lot of Walmart customers in rural areas, they use gasoline. I mean, maybe Amazon, I don't know, buys Exxon at some point. But uh, until then, the gasoline discount, we'll see if that becomes what? A, a game changer. Of course, Walmart has a video program, Wolf, as well, too. What, what, what was the uh, Ron Burgundy quote there? You, you teed it, teed it up, and then I... What, Kick what? it up a notch. What, that, that goes down as a famous quote? That wasn't even, I mean, it was just like yeah, a passing phrase. There's so many great really quotes we could have used. Oh, battle Brooke, of the you killed a man with a trident. Exactly, there we go. That's the one I wanted. That's the one I wanted. If, if, if that could have been worked into that story, Brian, it, it would have been Ron Burgundy-esque, frankly, to, to, to have brought that in. But there we well, go. I love lamp. There okay. we go. Loud Brilliant. noises. TikTok's Chinese parent, ByteDance, says that it will follow China's newly amended rules on exporting technology. That could make any sale of TikTok's U.S. operations more complicated or even impossible. We are awaiting the next chapter in the TikTok saga and its implications on the long-term trade war between the United States and China. For more on this, let's bring in our next guest, Tom Friedman, 
He is the New York Times foreign affairs columnist. He wrote about the U.S. and China and trade in a column where he said to deal with China, Trump should learn German. He's also the author of the book, Thank You for Being Late, many others. And Tom, it's good to see you here this morning. Becky, great to be with you. Okay, explain your quote on this. If he wants to deal with, with China, he needs to learn how to speak German. What do you mean? What I meant, Becky, is that, um, you know, the Cold War against the Soviet Union was fought and won in Berlin. And the uh, impending technology Cold War between the United States and China will also be fought and won in Berlin for this reason. Uh, Germany is the key to the European Union. And I think which power in the world, China or the United States, has the European Union on their side in this pending technology war? is going to be the one that will win, will, will, will be the one that has the most leverage. I've always felt from the beginning that if we made this uh, challenge with China, the United States alone versus China, uh, we will lose. Uh, if we make it the world versus China on what are the right and fair rules of international commerce and technology in the 21st century, we can win. That is a really interesting thesis and makes a lot of sense. I mean, we just had Eric Schmidt on last week, and he said one of the things mm. he's worried about with this conflict between China and the United States is just the idea that you could have a splintering of technology, a splintering, splintering of the Internet, that you would have two separate Internets that are taking place. I guess your point is whoever has Europe on their side is going to have the mass on their side. Right. You know, I, I always say, Beck, um, I actually don't like to use the term China. Uh, I much prefer the term one-sixth of humanity who speak Chinese. Uh, I think we better understand uh, fast the size of what we're talking about. China's 1.3 billion people who are becoming a digital technology powerhouse, uh, to, their, to their credit. The idea that we can just push them around or order them around, or that we alone um, uh, can bend them to the rules of international commerce and trade, uh, alone, I think is ludicrous. And um, I think I've been saying this from the very beginning. You know, I, I agree with what Trump did. You know, I said from the start that Donald Trump is not the American president America deserves, in my, in my opinion, but he definitely is the American president China deserved. Um, uh, that we needed to have a president who was going to call the game with China. And Trump's done it uh, with, uh, I would say, more grit and toughness than any of his predecessors. I, I give him credit for that. But he thought he could do it alone. He thought he could do it without a coalition. Tom, it's so interesting your point about uh, the importance of, of winning the EU over on, on this, uh, this question and this debate. There was a report sort of six months ago, only according to reports, uh, that uh, Angela Merkel had said, I'm more worried about the influence of uh, social media companies in the, from the US on our children than, say, Huawei on our nation. Clearly, clearly the US has influenced the UK on the topic of Huawei. Uh, a lot of it uh, is still up for, for grabs, as, as you're suggesting. Are, are you suggesting that there's not legitimacy uh, around some of the US questions over Chinese tech, maybe Huawei's example, maybe TikTok is the example, and that this is just a battle uh, to, to, to win the hearts and minds of, of Germany and the EU, or, or there is legitimacy and it's just a, a case of convincing uh, the likes of the Germans of the ills of, say, Huawei, like they managed to convince the, the Brits? So there are two issues here. Um, uh, one is a long-term structural issue. For, um, uh, for decades, China sold us uh, shallow goods, uh, goods we wore on our back, shoes we wore on our feet, socks we wore on our ankles, solar panels we, wore, we, we put on our roofs. While we sold China deep goods, uh, stuff that went deep inside their systems and economies, uh, software, uh, chips, etc., what is new today is that China can now sell us deep goods, 
uh, 5G that can go inside your house, inside your chatbot, inside your bedroom. And we don't have the trust relationship with them generally for us to buy their deep goods. That, that's the real Huawei story. That's what we're fighting about here. Now, over and above that, you, you have to, to, to understand, and I think this, and this is what the administration, where I have problems with them, just because China can, in theory, um, call on a TikTok and demand that it turns over data, doesn't mean it's doing it any more than it means that America is doing it or a European country is doing it with their technologies. And I'm uncomfortable when I read these TikTok stories. I think we should always ask ourselves, is this Saddam Hussein has nuclear weapons? What is the actual proof of what TikTok has done? Yes, theoretically, given Chinese law, they could turn over data. Have they done that? I'd like to know that. And I, I'm uncomfortable um, not knowing enough of that uh, as we dive into this. That said, do I think China, just on the basis of my own reporting, you know, um, has been meddling in our elections and has the ability to, you know, influence, um, uh, uh, you know, social networks in this country? It does, and and we need to we need to be alive to that. You'll remember that massive group of hacks last year: Anthem, Marriott, Equifax. A lot of people think that was actually China building a huge database on Americans that could run AI on and influence campaigns in the future. Tom, the end of your of your comments there kind of make me go back to the, the beginning of those comments. If we think this is China, and we know of other attacks that China has launched on us through, this, uh, through cyber attacks that they've launched on us, we may not have proof of them using Huawei or any of these other uh, sort of ways in and spying on us. But as the relationship has grown more frayed, as we know about a lot of these cyber attacks that have taken place that have been sponsored by the, the People's Liberation Army in China, how comfortable should we feel about that, knowing that that's out there? I, I hear your point about not seeing the actual proof of this being done. But you know the history of some of the issues with Huawei, with co corporate intellectual property being stolen and, and ripped off on some of these issues. And you know about the cyber attacks. You put those two together, and it does raise a lot of concern about what we might be setting ourselves up for if this is embedded into everything about our lives. So I'm torn between two things, Beck. You know, one is, I agree with you, you know I'm not a wuss on this issue at all. I take it very, very yeah. seriously. But, you know, um, I was in um, uh, Shenzhen last year and interviewed Mr. Ren, the founder of Huawei. And so before I went to the interview, I, I prepared for the interview. So I took, looked up Huawei and cyber and whatnot. You know what's the first thing that comes up on, uh, on Google when you do it? Or one of the first things. Um, it was how America hacked Huawei's networks you know, a decade ago um, in order to tap into Pakistani intelligence. So the idea that, like, <laughs> they're the only ones doing this, you know, um, and, and we're not, uh, I think we have to be, you know, have an adult conversation about that. And that leads to my second point. You know, Becky, um, we're in a world where everything is dual use now. A hammer is dual use. A radio is dual use. Mm -hmm. The chatbot in your bedroom is dual use. That it can have military or intelligence and civilian purposes. And we have to sort out in our own minds. I, I, I know how I lived my life. I assume everyone's hacking everything. You know what I mean? Um, because yeah. if we start looking at every single Chinese company and what it does, everything is dual use, including your kid's next bathtub ducky, you know, which probably has a chip in it. You know, So we, we oh. have to set down. And that's why I say that there, there needs to be a kind of global conversation between the EU, America, and China you know, over how we're going to do this. Otherwise, we are heading for a silicon, a digital Berlin Wall. And the world will be less stable, and it'll be less prosperous if that's where we go.
Tom, thank you. It's always good to see you. And I think we probably have 50 more questions for you, but we'll have to have you back again soon. Anytime, Vic. Thank you. Coming up on Squawk Pod, from Formula One to family Shabbat, Zoom has made itself indispensable to pandemic life. CFO Kelly Steckelberg on what's next for the platform. We look forward to the day that the pandemic is over and we can resume more normal activities. And yet, I don't think that even itself is a threat to Zoom. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. All right, good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. And by the way, welcome to September, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan along with Becky Quick and Wilfred Frost. As you might have guessed, Joe and Andrew are off today. Zoom, huge news. Your top single stock story today, Becky, <laughs> is indeed Zoom. The stock is on fire. Amazing how that works. The stock is on fire right now. <laughs> Earnings of 92 cents per share more than doubled the 45 cents analysts expected and that may be the least impressive thing about the quarter, guys. Revenue jumped 355% year over year. And check this out. Free cash flow was up 2,000% year <laughs> over year. The company's CFO said that new customer subscriptions delivered 81% of the revenue growth. And there was less customer churn than expected. By the way, Kelly Steckelberg will join us. How would you like, Becky and Wilf, to be in a business where your free cash flow was up 2,000%. I mean, it sounds like a kid's lemonade stand on a court. Well, I sold to Mr. Jones at five bucks, and then Uncle Pennybags came in and bought a $1,000 bottle of lemonade from me. That's basically what's happened to Zoom. It's incredible. Uh, I mean, it's completely insane. And, well, and, and we had an analyst on yesterday straight after the, the, the results uh, came out, and they said, you know, the big test was how would this perform in the COVID era? Q1 was its, uh, its original movie, as it were, knocked it out of the park. And, and the sequel in Q2 was even stronger. And the fact that it's still accelerating new account ads and, and, and top line revenue, uh, really pretty impressive. The question, of course, continues to be how much is this bringing forward demand for, for future years? And, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't surprise me, does it? I mean, it, it surprises me, I guess, how strong they continue to grow. But if you look at your own life, I don't think I ever used Zoom until the very beginning of March, just before the pandemic really, really clocked down on things. But we use it every single day here. And I'm not just talking about me, the kids. Everybody is using Zoom or something like it, like Google or something. There's all of these different ones, but Zoom has become the new vernacular. And when I say I'm doing something, even if I'm using Google or something else, I usually say, oh, it's, it's a Zoom call, right? They've won just on the, on the naming rights. Yeah. They become a verb. I'm going to Xerox that or give me a Kleenex, whatever it is. I mean, I'll tell you where I'm long. Somebody said, what do you make of all these video calls? I said, guys, if we could own stocks, I would be long Luxottica because with all this video stuff with our kids now going virtual, we're all going to need glasses. So I figured, we'll, you know, we're going to yes. hedge this Zoom by going long Luxottica because we're Two all going to be wearing, kids already as do Wilford might call them, this. spectacles or maybe a monocle, you know, within uh, the next two years. 
Joining us right now first on CNBC is Zoom CFO Kelly Steckelberg. And Kelly, it is great to have you here today. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Thank you. You know, the numbers on just about every metric, incredibly impressive, much better than the street had been anticipating. I think that revenue number is the one that really jumps out. It was up 355% year over year, and that comes after revenue growth of 169% the quarter before. Putting up big numbers after big numbers like that really kind of blows the street away, which is why we're seeing that action this morning. What, uh, how much of this was a surprise to you in terms of seeing this revenue number? When did you know it was happening, and what do you see happening in, in the current quarter? Yeah, well, we indicated coming into the quarter that we really expected strong growth to continue into Q2. And we saw that across all geographies, all industries. Um, you know, international grew over 600% year over year. We strong, saw, strong, strong performance in industries like education and nonprofits. And also Zoom Phone. We're very excited. We had our largest Zoom Phone deal to date signed in Q2. So really strong performance across all aspects of our business. Yeah, I look at some of the other numbers. I know customer churn was less than had been anticipated. And if you look at some of the adjusted gross margin numbers, they improved to 72.3% from 69.4%. Was there any number anywhere, any performance that, that disappointed you? We were really pleased with our performance in Q2. As you indicated, I think what we saw from the retention perspective is that working from home is, is not a fad. People are really adjusting to this new way of life. They are integrating Zoom into all aspects, and we saw a strong retention, not only from our enterprise, but in our customers with fewer than 10 employees as well. And then as we continue to focus on leveraging both the public cloud as well as our own co-located data centers, that's why you saw that improvement in the gross margins. And we're going to continue to optimize across all of those metrics as we focus on the rest of the year as well. Yeah, the, the, this is a problem that any business would love to have, massive amounts of demand coming in. But I, I've got to imagine that it, it, it's difficult to keep up with it and try and stay ahead of what's there. What is the biggest problem that you face at this point? So as you said, we've worked really tirelessly. Our whole entire Zoom team is doing everything we can to continue to support not only our existing customers, but to ensure that every customer that has a need for Zoom has access to it. And we focus quickly on scaling up our employee base. We hired over 500 employees in Q2. That's the largest growth we've had to date. And, you know, we're working from home like many of our customers are and really supporting our employees to ensure that we can meet the needs of the customer and leveraging great partners like AWS and Oracle as we need to ensure that we have the capacity to continue to support our customers along the way. Hey, Kelly, it's Brian. Uh, listen, I, I got to imagine maybe you feel obligated to work from home, given that you work from Zoom. But that aside, I'm going to say something I've never said in 25 years of covering thousands of earnings. Your free cash flow uh -oh. rose by 2000 percent year over year. What are you going to do with all that operating cash flow? Well, we continue to look for opportunities to invest to grow the top line. We indicated that you know, we had record margins, operating margins in the quarter at 41.7%. We've indicated we expect those to come down for the rest of the year as we're focused on investing in more salespeople to meet the demand and, of course, more engineers to continue to innovate and build our platform. And then we will always look if there are opportunities for M&A technology and or teams that could really augment our platform or our team to continue to drive that top line growth as well. Um Kelly, do you, do you see uh, the future of Zoom 
talking to the likes of Microsoft team, Cisco's WebEx, for example, where they'll all be integrated in the way that on our smartphones today, uh, different manufacturers, uh, different operating systems all, all accept text messages and calls from each other? You know, we really believe that video is the future of communications. And with that, we want our customers to be able to use the Zoom platform with other you know, best of breed products in our platforms that they choose. And we have integrations with many products out there, including some of the names that you mentioned. And that's, that's great. We want our customers to be able to use the products that they know and love and have them work together seamlessly. In, in terms of the, the demand that, that uh, you've seen for the product, what would be a, a bigger threat uh, to that demand falling off? Would it be uh, airlines seeing their business take off again because business travel is back or, or, or frankly, uh, 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 innovation from Microsoft Teams or a rival of yours? You know, what we've heard from our customers is while everyone is really longing for the day that we get to go back to a more normal life before COVID, that in many ways they are loving the flexibility this has brought to them, that they get to wake up with their children, they get to have a full day of work and then have dinner with their family at the end of the day. And so I really believe that Zoom is now integrated into all aspects of our lives. And, you know, we look forward to the day that the pandemic is over and we can resume more normal activities. And yet I don't think that that even itself is a threat to Zoom because we've grown accustomed to it and we're using it for, we've seen so many additional use cases. If you think about Formula One, having these great premium experiences, leveraging Zoom now, bringing, you know, um, their clients into the paddock, or there's um, a company in Singapore that is using it to do virtual tours, and they did half of their new products, I mean, new properties that came to sale in Q2, they showed them virtually and sold them this way. So we're starting to see more and more ways that people are making their lives more efficient and more effective, and I think that this way of communicating and working is here to stay. Hey, Kelly, just going back to the Zoom outage that, that took place a week ago yesterday, um, I, I noticed it. There were a lot of people who had issues trying to get back on, and, and maybe it was because there were so many kids who were going back to school. Maybe it was that so many businesses were using it at the same time. Um, how big of a problem is it for, for potential outages in the future? We've still got other schools that haven't gone back yet. Yeah, we you know, test and take the resiliency of our platform very, very seriously. And so we've talked about, we ensure that we have capacity available to support all the customers, including all of the schools that are, as you say, going back, have already gone back or in stages of going back to ensure that we're doing everything we can, that the platform is available and ready for all of you whenever you need it. How many of your employees work at home? Is it a mission critical where people have to be in the office or can a lot of your employees also do their work from home? Yeah, we really have the majority of our employees working from home and have them entering the office, as you say, only for real mission-critical um, episodes, if you will. We don't have anyone permanently situated in the office, and we found that it's working very well. We, of course, miss the camaraderie. I think that seeing our, our friends and our colleagues in the office and that more informal communication is what we love and we miss about it, but we have found this to be very effective and our employees have been highly productive over the last two quarters, which, you know, we just talked about the results that we've seen. And so I, we've proven that this works very well for us. 
I know that you've been looking to hire more engineers, making sure you get a lot of technical people that are coming in. Are you hiring people around headquarters? Or are you looking for new people all over the country if, if you figure working from home is, is kind of the new way of doing things? So we've announced that we are augmenting our R&D team by adding resources both in the U.S. We highlighted two centers in Arizona and Pittsburgh, as well as an expansion in India. And in the meantime, we are also just looking for great talent wherever they are. And as we've all continued and will continue to work remotely, we've highlighted that we won't reopen our U.S. offices until at the earliest sometime next summer. We want to take advantage of hiring great people wherever they are during this time. We had a conversation earlier this morning just about how you all have won in terms of winning the the verb of what you do when you go online and you have a, a communications with people that you're zooming. That's what we all do. That's what we talk about. But clearly there are a lot of other players out there, everybody from Microsoft Teams to WebEx to uh, Google Meet. And, and we use all of those platforms too. Is, is this a winner take all area? You know, there is a huge market opportunity out there. And we do believe that there is the opportunity for more for many of us to be successful. I think what you've highlighted is the brand awareness for Zoom and the increase in that has been amazing during this period of time. We've seen it used in pop culture on TV and that has been really beneficial for the business. And I think that's due also to the ease of use and the reliability of the platform that has made it something that we've all just incorporated into our lives. Kelly, I want to thank you for your time today. Really appreciate you being with us. And again, that stock is up 40%, which is kind of amazing, but you did have amazing numbers yesterday. So thank you for your time this morning. Thank you. You, you know, Becky, just to go back to Zoom for a second, you know, I, I think about that. Don't, don't roll up to GM headquarters driving a Ford. Don't go into McDonald's eating a Whopper. And I'm thinking, if you work at Zoom, you better not say, let's go back to the office. You, you want work from home forever, right? <laughs> Next on Squawk Pod, remote learning platform Khan Academy has seen use triple during the coronavirus pandemic. Now, founder Sal Khan and his team are hitting the ground running on a new, different school year. The difficulty here is we've been treating this in the school system like a series of rolling two-month crises, but this could very well be through the end of the school year. Back after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Becky Quick. Remote learning is being reinvented by school districts across the country. The Khan Academy, which offers free educational videos, is a pioneer in digital learning. 
Today, it's seeing unprecedented demand with roughly 100 million users in 190 countries and 46 languages, registering 8.7 billion minutes of learning last year. Joining us right now to talk about overcoming remote learning challenges is Sal Khan. He is Khan Academy's founder and CEO. And Sal, it's always good to see you, but I think um, this time is probably one of the more important times that we're meeting with you because there is so much that is different this fall as kids head back to school. Yeah, great to he be here, but yeah, absolutely, and it's it's very suboptimal circumstances. Yeah, you know, I'm something of a poster child for uh, online learning or distance learning, and I'll be the first to say that uh, this is a suboptimal situation. If I had to pick between in-person physical teaching and uh, the best technology on the planet, I would pick the in-person physical teaching with an amazing teacher any day for my kids or anyone else's. Uh, and I think the difficulty here is, uh, you know, we've been treating this in the school system like a series of rolling two-month crises, but this could very well be through the end of the school year and. And, you know, depending on what happens with the vaccines or the therapies could even be uh, next school year. And uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of school districts haven't had the chance to really think through what instruction looks like in this world. They've spent the last six months thinking about can they open or not or how can they open. Uh, and so it's a really difficult situation for teachers, parents and students. What, what have you seen? I know demand. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think the number of minutes that people were spending on your platform tripled in the spring when when schools originally closed down. Is that right? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, we got the first sign that something was going to happen in February uh, when we saw our users in South Korea, a teacher in particular was emailing us telling us how we were getting them through school closures. And, you know, it seems like a lifetime ago, I thought that was wild that a whole country would close their schools. And obviously, uh, by March, uh, we, we were in the same boat in much of this, the world. And we saw our usage uh, be about 300% of normal in that time period. And we're seeing it ramp right back up. We saw parent and teacher registrations be 10 to 20x of normal. Uh, and what we've just been trying to do is keep up with uh, all of the demand. You know, we're a philanthropically funded nonprofit, so we've also been putting our fundraising into high gear uh, so that we can keep up with server costs, so that we could add new content, run, run webinars for parents and teachers. We've been trying to put out as much new course load as possible. Uh, we could have never foreseen this situation happening, uh, but Khan Academy uh, over the last decade or so has been very well suited to carry people over through distance learning. We obviously have as many practices and exercises and videos as folks need, especially in pre-K through college math. We have Khan Academy kids. It's actually not just math, reading, writing, social, emotional learning. Uh, we have math that goes across grade levels, sciences. Uh, we're going to be adding uh, a lot more science over the coming months. We have a lot of high school science already. We have SAT prep. Uh, and I actually have a side project that I just started outside of Khan Academy called schoolhouse.world to provide folks with free live tutoring. You can get you know, at your own time, at your own pace, uh, work done on Khan Academy. Then if you want amazing volunteer tutors, this schoolhouse.world effort, we actually have several a capacity for several thousand more students right now. Uh, so we're just trying to do everything we can to keep up with uh, what, what folks need to, to be supported right now. Hey, Saul, there, there has been so much talk about the divide between the haves and the have-nots and how that gets particularly stressed in, in a situation like this. If you don't have a laptop, if you don't have high-speed Internet um, uh, connection, you are in a much more difficult position than, than other kids who do have those things. What are you doing, particularly with some of the inner cities, where, where, where that's a real issue? I know you've done some work there. Yeah, you know, our role, you're absolutely right. For us to really do the work we do, it's predicated on having some type of a reasonable, I mean, we can work on a cell phone, but you still need a reasonable device. You re need a reasonable internet connection. Uh, we've been working with other groups like Common Sense Media to do as much advocacy as possible uh, to get, to close the digital divide at home, which I think now people realize this is like, you know, not having heating or not having clean drinking water at home. 
School districts, in their defense, have done a heroic job getting devices out and getting Internet access out to kids. I think New York City Public Schools has given out almost 300,000 laptops. The telecom carriers are giving free service. Uh, Los Angeles Unified, almost 200,000 laptops. But even then, we're seeing about 5 or 10% of students not being engaged. They might not have the supports at home. Their parents might be essential workers. Uh, There might only be one device at home. And there we're seeing districts, and this is a really tough spot for a lot of districts, uh, but places like Maryland have done some really good programs where they're allowing those kids to go to school while while everyone is still doing distance learning. So the teachers aren't at the school, but there's an adult there who can uh, provide some childcare, provide meals, and a safe environment to do the distance learning in. And Sal, just back to the point that you're a nonprofit. You you could have, when you created this, gone private or gone and taken it public, gone private, done something where you were actually making money with this. You chose not to. Um, How are you kind of getting through with those donations at this point? I know in the past you've had some big corporate sponsors like Google, Bank of America, Bill and Melinda Gates. But how is it going right now when you have three times as much demand as you've ever seen in the past? Yeah, you know, I I told our team, like, we just have to do what's right right now and hope that the universe will conspire to support what we're doing. And, you know, all the folks that you just mentioned continue to be supporters, but we were running at a slight deficit pre-COVID, and then you can imagine our server costs are now roughly three times what they were before, and now it's, you know, many millions of dollars. It's likely to cross tens of millions, $10 million just in server costs, Uh, and then we have a lot of folks developing content and software. We're the budget of a large high school, but we serve over 100 million folks a year, so uh, thanks for asking that. I think the social return on investment from something like Khan Academy is really off the charts, and we're always eager to partner with anyone who's, especially now, looking to serve tens of millions of families uh, through this uh, tough crisis that if we don't work in a very cohesive way, uh, could easily turn to education catastrophe. Yeah, I I just want to thank you for the work that you've done. I've followed you for years and um, watching what you've put together and and what you're working so hard to do right now. I I just want to applaud you. Thank you for joining us today, Sal. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Thanks to Brian and Wilfred for sitting in today. Tune in any day at 6 a.m. Eastern on CNBC and subscribe to Squawk Pod, available for free. If you like what you hear, would you be so kind to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen? Thank you. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.